You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christian writers who are ready to conquer what's holding them back. I'm Nika Maples, and this is episode 83, The Shame Eliminator. Those of you who have written brief reviews and given me some stars on my podcast, this is not a vanity metric for me. I'm excited about reviews and stars simply because it proves to podcast players that my podcast is being well-received. And what that does is it causes the podcast players then to suggest my podcast to people who don't listen to it yet. So every time you bump up my noticeability on a podcast by giving it stars and most importantly, a brief review, it's like a little gift to me that keeps on giving. It will keep on giving because the more that people see that my podcast is liked and appreciated, the more they will see that I actually have a podcast to begin with. I wish the world didn't work that way, but hey, it does. So I want to give a shout out to PB Cowgirl. Is it Pottery Barn Cowgirl? Is it Peanut Butter Cowgirl? I don't know. But I'm grateful for PB Cowgirl. She writes, Nika's podcasts are great because they're short enough to listen to when I literally only have a snippet of time. It leaves you wanting more, in which case you can find more in-depth encouragement and guidance on her website. Her suggestions are practical, but most of all, encouraging. You know what, PB Cowgirl, I also like podcasts that are kind of brief and that I can listen to several at the same time, you know, two or three podcasts, maybe while I'm doing the dishes or whatever. And that's why I made mine so short. But I have to say that the last few episodes have been longer ones because they're teachings that I feel are so important. I wanted to include them in their entirety. And they were previously recorded, but I was like, oh, I have to present these again because only a few people heard these and I want a broader audience to be exposed to this because like in today's message called the shame eliminator, I talk about guilt, which is something that a lot of people struggle with. They get mired down in guilt. And if a writer especially is mired down in guilt, how can they move forward to teach principles of God if they feel like they have failed God? You see how that doesn't work? So I have to teach on this. So I'm sharing a longer one, PB Cowgirl. And I hope that you can um, fit it in. Hey, you know, you can fit it in in segments. But I want to pray for you and um, thank you so much for this. Heavenly Father, I pray that you pour out your blessing on this person and give her your best. Give her your best. I pray that you pour out something that she's been asking for and longing for. A special kind of contentment and peace. The kind of contentment and peace that completely displaces worry. That there would be no worry in her life in the specific area she's been asking you about the most. 
that you would displace it with contentment and peace. You are her good shepherd, her total provider. You can meet every need in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get started. This lesson is called The Shame Eliminator. First, let me ask you, do you struggle with shame from time to time? Are there parts of you or parts of your life that you hide from others? Maybe you hide these areas because you think to yourself, if people knew this about me, they would think I was a fraud. If people knew this about me, they would have no respect for me. They would think less of me. They wouldn't even listen to me. All of us feel that way. But I want you to know where that feeling comes from. See, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again and again because this idea is one of the ideas that has completely set me free. Because on, 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 the, on its face, guilt and conviction feel about the same way. They feel the same in our body. It's that sinking feeling in our stomach or that burning, embarrassed feeling in our chest. They even begin with the same thoughts, maybe thinking, I really shouldn't have done that, whatever that is, whether we shouldn't have thought that way about someone, we shouldn't have opened our mouth and said the things that we said, or did the, we shouldn't have done the things that we did, whatever it is. They begin with those initial recognition of a flaw, recognition of a fault, but from there, guilt and conviction separate because guilt points us toward the past and conviction points us toward the future. What I mean by that is that guilt focuses on the thing that was done wrong and almost keeps us in a spin of thinking, there's nothing I can do about it. Things have gone terribly wrong because of what I did and there's nothing that can be done. And every time we think of that incident, we, we result in a downward spiral of seeing all the ways our lives are pitiful because of the choices that we make. And then conviction is completely different. Conviction points us toward the future. The focus is, okay, we, we did that, I did that, but now what will I do? How can I avoid making the same mistake again? How can I move away from temptation or sin? How can I choose righteousness in the future. Conviction accepts grace and guilt rejects grace. Guilt is prideful because it says what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. It may have been enough for everyone else, but it's not enough for our sin. It refuses the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for us, and it continues to Put all of the attention on the sin itself instead of on the sacrifice that was made for the sin. Conviction obviously is different. It, it welcomes the blood of Jesus. It clings to Jesus and says, this is what I would do if I didn't have you, Lord. Keep making me like you. There's a difference really between salvation and sanctification. We're saved the moment we can, we accept Jesus in our heart and, and 
confess that with it with our mouths that he's the son of god and he's the the sacrifice for our sins that's salvation but sanctification occurs over a lifetime it's how the blood of jesus changes us from day to day as we become more like christ now i ask you is sanctification any part of the mindset involved with guilt not at all guilt says this is just who you are while conviction says this is who you were and day by day you're becoming more and more like your savior it accepts the sacrifice in place of the sin guilt comes from your accuser in the book of job we are introduced to the name satan but in fact the hebrew in the original there's an article with the word it's the satan instead of just satan as we read it in our english translations it is the satan and satan in hebrew means the accuser it's the accuser that pours out calamity on job because the accuser wants job to turn away from god and curse him and the accusation is this man will surely do it but god knew that he wouldn't guilt is the satan coming at you in the same way saying look you you are guilty of this you are the accused conviction instead comes from your advocate jesus christ died to be your advocate to stand in the, the court in the spiritual realm and say you can accuse her all you want but i'm her advocate i'm here to say her blood is replaced by my blood her savior and i'm perfect without sin i stand in her place there's nothing guilty about her conviction is for you it's for your benefit and my benefit so that we can continue to walk on the road of righteousness being reminded that we need him guilt is for the watching world so that the accuser can say this one well she's not enough and she never will be she's useless she's um not even worthy of being used by god in any meaningful way her service and her work on earth is unacceptable but your advocate says you are accepted and what counts as enough is just saying that i am your lord just surrendering your life to me that's what's enough and that's what makes you worthy to serve me is just admitting that you need me guilt is what connects us to shame it's like it makes the little pathway so that shame can get into our hearts but conviction connects us 
to grace. Have you ever played one of those video games that's maybe on your phone where you have something that's blocking the flow of water and you have to shift the valve and then the water flows and there's two kinds of water. I've seen my niece play the, play this. There's the, the blue good water and then there's the black dirty water and you have to adjust the valves to show that the good water can get to the plant, not the dirty water that will kill the plant. Well, God says you're, and you and I, we're oaks of righteousness. We're, we're growing. We're a plant. We're growing. And we have to have the living water, not this faulty um, counterfeit nourishment that the enemy offers. We have to play that video game with our minds and use the valve because both sources, the eternal source that comes from the throne of heaven or the bitter water that comes from hell, both are trying to get to where we will drink it up. But we have to control the flow of what we consume, of what we believe changing those valves so that all the only thing we take in is the healthy clean water that comes from jesus the if we indulge in guilt we will experience shame and wanting to hide from others but if we if we focus on and accept and and understand the role of conviction in making us better and, and making us more like the one we love, then we're connected to the grace that relieves us of the pain of regret. The only thing that can relieve us of the pain of regret is God's mercy and grace. But I will say, don't hide the kryptonite. <laughs> um, as a writing teacher, one of the things that I love to tell my writers is about how when the cartoon Superman was created by DC Comics, you know, decades and decades ago, they initially made him with very few powers. He could pick things up and heavy things. He could run things faster than a train. But over time, they were tempted to give Superman more powers, the, the ability to fly, the ability to push planets and shift things in the universe, he, Superman had unlimited power. And what they noticed was their readership dropped because suddenly there was no reason to read. It was more interesting to read about the struggle, about a man who overcomes difficulty, not a man who never has any difficulty because he's perfect. That kind of superhero is no superhero at all. And so the creators of DC Comics had to write something into the story of Superman that would make him vulnerable, just like Brene Brown teaches. Vulnerability was one of the strongest things, that one of the strengths or the character traits that Superman needed. And so the writers created kryptonite they said okay there's this one thing 
it's this piece of the planet that he's from, planet Krypton. And when he, when he, a piece of this other world comes to Earth, or if he encounters it in space, suddenly Superman is weakened. And, and he changes, and he doesn't have the power anymore. Well, if a cartoon, su su Superman needs the element of kryptonite in order to, to keep a readership, to make him believable, really, that's just kind of like an example story of our relationships on Earth. We think it will be more compelling to be the superhero that is perfect. That's what the creators of DC Comics thought, that having a superhero that could do anything, Superman, would be the most compelling to readership. And that's when the readership dropped off because people don't want to see that. And people don't want to see it in a cartoon. They really don't want to see it in a Christian. People would rather see your real challenges. That's our kryptonite. What is difficult for us? How are we overcoming? I talked about how shame makes us want to hide. The very first question I asked is, do you struggle with shame? Do you have parts of you or your life that you're tempted to hide? Well, remember I said that the source of shame is guilt, that the enemy says, look at this sin, look at this wrongdoing, look at this mistake. You're going to feel guilt, focus on the past, and that guilt connects us to shame. Well, what does shame make us do? It makes us want to hide. So we hide the kryptonite. We hide the thing that was the challenge. And we think it will make us more likable if we don't show it. The opposite is true and the enemy knows it. So you see why he would be so interested in cultivating guilt in our lives because from the shame we hide. Adam and Eve hid from God because what they felt was guilt after they disobeyed. They felt guilt and they covered themselves. They hid from God. Well, what did that do? It cut off some of the connection. The, the loving walks that they used to take with God changed instantly. Suddenly they were unavailable to him. The same is true of us today. Now you know why the enemy wants us to stay stuck in guilt because he knows that if we are connected to shame, the shame will make us hide. And who we hide from, not only God, we, although that is very true, but we also hide from our communities. We hide from our church friends. We hide from our family. We hide from anyone who would hold us accountable to better behavior as we grow in sanctification. We hide the challenges and we lose the connection we have with other people. The very connection that is what we're built for, what we're made for. But if you're honest about the challenge and conviction will make you honest about the challenge because it connects you to grace and it has you saying, this is what I did, but this is why I need Jesus. Don't we all? And the people who run away from that just aren't ready to accept grace on their own, in their own way, in their own lives. They are still hiding the kryptonite for themselves and you don't have to worry about them. But you and I have to make a commitment 
to be honest with others about the struggles in our lives. For me, right now, there there was an area in my office, an area in my apartment, which is my office, that just got out of control with papers and boxes and things that I needed to put away. And do you know what I did? I stopped inviting anyone over. I didn't want anyone to see this part of my office that had no door. I couldn't close it. I just thought I can deal with the mess, but I don't want them to see the mess. And hiding that kryptonite ruined my connection with others. Finally, I had to just, a friend said, I'm coming over and I'm bringing you lunch today. And I let her in and felt so embarrassed, but only for a moment because I saw that she loves me not because my office is clean or not clean, but for who I really am. We read in 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this kind of repeats itself over and over. I think John really wanted us to get the point. If we say we have no sin, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The truth, his word, the truth is not in us. And by saying we have no sin, it's saying that, oh, I don't really struggle with anything. Or maybe we aren't honest about the things that we do struggle with. But look what this says. That's walking in darkness. If we are not confessing and, and being open and staying in community with other Christians and talking about the kryptonite, talking about the things that make us stumble, if we aren't doing that, we're walking in darkness. We're not turning on the light on our lives. We're saying, oh, over here, I, li I like this shadow. You can see all this part of my life, but I like a shadow right here, strategically placed, so you never see this thing I'm struggling with. When we do that, we don't practice the truth. The truth has to be practiced. It has to be put into practice. Truth is not only something you believe, it's something that you do. Truth is the light that you shine on all parts of your life. It's letting other people, people that you trust, not everyone in the whole world, but people that you trust, it's letting them see the kryptonite. And it goes on to say in 1 John 2, 1 through 6, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's that's a big biblical word. Uh, propitiation. Propitiation, not propitiation. It's kind of hard to say. The propitiation is the sacrifice for our sins. The payment for our sins. Jesus was. 
and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. So what is obeying his commands? Well, one of his commands was right here back in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the commands. It's one of the commands we would like to ignore. We'll put all the others into practice, but we don't want to talk with people about the challenges, the struggles, the temptations, the things that we want to keep in the shadow under the cover of shame. I, I recently, um, this year, found a, psych, a psychologist slash teacher who talks a lot about a framework for our thoughts. She calls it a model for our thoughts. More and more, I find myself wanting to incorporate this into the things that I teach because I think it's so helpful. She does not come from a Christian worldview at all. I am coming from a Christian worldview. I am coming from how does the Bible say this exact thing, but this is a better way to illustrate it for ourselves so we can internalize the truth of the Bible. The, the, uh, the thought model that she talks about is listed right here. It begins with a circumstance. That's something in your life that cannot change. And then you have a thought about that circumstance. You have a feeling about it. You take actions and you have a specific result. So the circumstance is in black because you can't change it. It's already done. In this case, let's say it's a sin. It's something that you should not have done. It's a wrongdoing. It's, it's a mistake even. Whatever it is, you can't go back in time and change it. So it's in black. It's, it's just there in your past. Well, your thought about it, your thought about it will either lead you to feeling guilty or lead you to feeling convicted. It's the thought that creates that feeling. And then you're going to take action. What do you think you do when you feel guilty? Well, you start eating more, maybe. You eat ice cream and chips and things you're not hungry for because guilt makes you hungry. It makes you hungry for the touch of God, but it's not really running to him. It's running to food instead. Your other actions, you may start kind of lying to cover up from your friends the things that you've done. Other actions may be that um, you spend more time on the internet because you'd rather not think. You'd rather not read your Bible or pray. So you stay on your phone, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, maybe your actions are um, parts of your house get messier because you ignore them. You just feel bad. Maybe you argue with your husband or argue with your kids because you're just cranky because you feel guilty. And what is the result? Well, you tell me if you engaged in all of those actions, what would the result be? It wouldn't be good. 
And yet, if you feel convicted based on the truth of a thought, if you feel convicted, what are the actions? You run to God. You read his word. You listen to, to praise music and you sing it out. And you thank God that he forgives you for that mistake. You praise him for the blood of Jesus that frees you. And, and maybe you journal about it and you, and you look at ways that you can avoid that mistake in the future. Maybe you confess your sins in a small group or even with just one person. Just like this, this that we just read. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you. Confess it. Talk about it, the kryptonite with another believer. They are not interested in a perfect person. No one is. They would rather see someone with flaws who is overcoming in the name of Jesus. So if those were your list of actions, then you would have a completely different result. You would move forward in power, wouldn't you? With guilt, you don't move forward in power. You stay stuck. The result is you don't go anywhere. But with conviction, you move forward in power toward the next thing that God has for you. So all it comes back to is the thought. So what is the thought that you have? Well, I'm not going to give it to you. I didn't even give you any examples in this thought model. I call it a thought framework. I think it's better understood as a framework for what, what we do as humans. We look at things we cannot change. We have a thought about them. The thought creates a feeling. We take actions based on the way we feel and it creates a result. We're either stuck or we're unstuck and we're moving forward to say the least. But tell me, think of that thing that you're regretting. Are, are you regretting, I, I feel led to say this, are you regretting an abortion? One in four women in the church have had an abortion, one in four. If you sit on a row at church, look at how many women are on the row and realize probably one of them have had an abortion. Are you feeling convicted about that or guilty? If you feel guilty that you may have been stuck for 30 years, because your thought about that is that God is ashamed of you. He would never forgive you. When you look at that circumstance, that thing that happened that you can't go back and change. You're, if your thought about it is God is mad at me. God would never use me. God is through with me. Or no one would love me if they knew about this. No matter what it is, that if you engage in thoughts that are lies, you will feel guilty. I already listed the kind of actions you would take. None of them involve the real relief that comes. You would be connected to shame because of guilt. And the result is you stay stuck in your life. But if you look at that sin and you say, Jesus Christ was enough for that too. No matter what I've done, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is enough, plenty, more than enough to cover what I've done. I feel convicted that that was not the choice that God wanted me to make for my life, that I could have chosen something different, but I'm running to him.
those are the actions I'm taking. All, all of them will connect me to grace. And the result is I'm not stuck. I'm moving forward in victory. I used abortion as an example, but listen, there could be a million examples. Did you lie? Did you cheat or steal at your job? Did, did you have an adulterous affair? Did you, um, did you just say something rude and ugly? Did you gossip? Whatever it is, if you feel convicted, this was not the choice God would have had me make. It wasn't the best choice for a daughter of God. However, I'm convicted, so I'm running to him to be connected to grace so I can receive the relief that he offers so I can be nourished as I grow. I can be nourished by the living water. I move the valves in my thought life. So I'm blocking the lies and opening myself up to the truth. If your thought about that mistake or that sin is God loves me, period. God loves me, period. No matter what I've done. If that's your thought, when you look at that circumstance, the conviction that comes is beautiful because it leads you toward the best he has for you. Because the fact that God loves you, period, is a fact. It's the truth. Satan wants you to think instead, God doesn't love me anymore. That's the lie. God doesn't love me anymore. But the truth is God loves me, period. See, the shame eliminator is truth. If you tell the truth about that circumstance in your life, that mistake, if you tell the truth about it, it will eliminate shame. Brene Brown says vulnerability eliminates shame. Well, I, yes, but really it's truth. It's saying this is what I struggled with. It's confessing your sin so that refreshment will come but you need that place where you could talk about changing for the better and that's the small group or the accountability partner so this is your assignment for this week something i, I encourage you to try write out a thought framework for a re recent circumstance an unwanted circumstance something you did now i've talked before about doing a thought download and that's that's writing down the lies you're believing about yourself or about your world. This is the whole framework. Not only the thought being the, the lie you're believing, but what feeling does that create? The options are not just guilt and conviction. It may be other feelings. Maybe this certain thought creates anger for you. And through your anger, you're taking actions that have a result that is not good. Or maybe the thought is creating grief or sorrow. And because of that grief or sorrow, you're taking actions that are creating a, a result that you don't want. Go back in this video to see that the progression is circumstance, thought, feeling, action, and then result. The circumstance you can't change, but you can change your thought. And that will change your feeling. And the feeling will, will help you change your actions. And the actions will, will result in something completely different, completely different. And it all starts with the thought that you're thinking about the circumstance. 
I hope this lesson was a blessing to you as you are so often a blessing to me. Hey there, did you know that your vocation is what you're paid to do, but your calling is what you're made to do? If you're ready to step into your calling, let's go. God is advancing the kingdom through Christian books. He has given everyone a spiritual gift, and it may be that one way you can exercise your spiritual gift of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, giving, organization, or mercy is by writing a book that will bless other believers and go places that you cannot go yourself. If you don't know how to write a book, put yourself under the mentoring of an experienced Christian author who will pray for and guide you. That's me. Join the Keep Writing course, an all-in-one online experience that I've created to take you through the process of finishing, publishing, and marketing your amazing book. Inside, I offer step-by-step lessons and weekly biblical coaching live. Together, we'll solve any problem you face in the name of Jesus. There's simply nothing else like this anywhere. So if you're ready to join us, go to nikamaples.com and click on the Keep Writing course. Get started today.